from Walt Disney Pictures. It's been called one of the most heartwarming motion pictures ever made and a true Disney masterpiece. Now it's back in theaters. This is quite an occasion. This is Bambi. theaters, it's the adventure you won't want to miss. Bambi! Quick, Pauline, jump! Walt Disney's classic, Bambi, rated G. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Where this week we continue our exploration into the Walt Disney animated golden age films this week we talk about uh i don't know if happy is the right word but cheerful at some points we continue with bambi with me as always is my co-hosted friend josh thank you Stephen. <clears throat> thank you for another lovely introduction as always it's always a pleasure doing this show with you and talking about bambi this bird. is wonderful bird 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 as always, uh, or as we have done recently, Josh and I will not be discussing how we first came to this movie because I assume you watched it as a child. Old VHS tapes. The For those of you youngins out there, the old VHS tapes. We used to dust them off and pop them in a little player. It was a really I will. Time. The only thing I'll add is that growing up, this was probably not my go-to VHS Disney movie, but uh, hey, that's just me. This one had more dust on the those plastic those plastic cases they came in. Those yeah, those white, oyster where they were shell. chipped off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one probably had more dust on it than the others. And rewatching it, I guess I think I had realized why in terms of its replay value. I can imagine it, you know, uh, didn't have as many moments for me as a child. Um, Versus now, I really relish in a lot of these scenes. It's really interesting. Uh, relish. The past couple movies, um, how many of them? I mean, we could get into this deeper in final thoughts, but it's interesting to me how adult some of these animated movies have been of late. I think starting with Fantasia and Dumbo hit on very adult themes. Yes, Dumbo has more of a cartoon vibe to it, but they, all three of them are more adult in theme and more adult in concepts, I guess. I think it's been the running theme. I would, I'm very curious to see where we'll look back when we do our recap episode at the end of this season or our segment or bit where we can look back and think about what we thought as a whole because i think collectively we always kind of reach these new points where it's like oh i didn't realize this but then watching it this run through i i came to this realization and i i'm picking up on a very similar just to what you're saying i'm picking up on a very similar thoughts where it's kind of like they're a lot more mature as much as i give all these movies shit for being like like very family friendly like to a point where i want to vomit where it's kind of like they they do hit these mature themes in ways that Disney movies kind of never really have since. There are teases of it kind of in like later movies. And then like you hit the Disney Renaissance where it's like, we want to be intense and adult and like it hits it, but not still not quite in the ways that these old, old movies do. There's something very authentic to these movies and maybe it stems from 
the hand-drawn animation, maybe it stems from the fact that these movies were literally the brainchild of several people pouring their hearts and souls into a studio. But I, I don't know, something about them just feels more authentic, maybe. Specifically this one. But again, we'll discuss this later on when we get into yeah, final thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't we just jump right into the production, pre-production and post-production and all that jazz. Get to the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get her done. <laughs> to quote a later Pixar movie. Let's start where we left off last time. The strike. Strike. Big strike, 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 strike. So this strike really did not affect Bambi much. It didn't. Uh, most of the development of this movie was happening at a different studio. It was not being worked on in the Disney studio in Burbank. It was being worked on in the remnants of the Hyperion studio in LA. So most of the artists didn't even really know that much was going on. Uh, so a lot of the key artists didn't even comply with the strike itself. As I alluded to last week, the second generation of artists worked on Dumbo. The main forces at work on Bambi were the third tier, the nine old men, whose loyalty to Walt was completely unfounded. Uh, they just had this undying, unwavering loyalty to this man. And they were really put in charge of Bambi. Um, but to the strike, uh, eventually what happened was a government mediator had to come in to solve the problem. And the resolution was that Walt had to take two strikers for every person that did not go out on strike. But... This resolution, we talked about the effects it had on the studio, but even still, it was very short-lived. The strike ended in uh, the summer of 1942, and by, uh, sorry, 41. And by the end of that year, Pearl Harbor happened. World War II broke out in the US, and a lot of the artists who were on strike were pulled into the war effort. And even the Disney studio itself was overtaken by the military. So we'll discuss more of that next week because that is very much in play when it comes to the wartime age movies, obviously. That's it's literally in, why it's, it's the wartime era. So how did they rebuild if the people who went, the strike happened and the people who went on strike were drafted, so to say? But how did they, how did the studio survive them? I mean, again, we'll get into most of the detail next week, but most of the people that went to war were the uh, in-betweeners, they were the painters, they were the younger people. So the upper echelon didn't really go to war. There were a couple that did, uh, then, but most of them did not. And that's uh, how, so that's how they were able to do this movie because yes. there were still a core 
group of people who were holding on to the or who, or who were attached to the studio who were able to help keep these movies alive. Yes. Well, let's get into the actual production of this movie um, because the production starts not really even in the 40s when this movie comes out. It starts in 1937. Uh, this was originally supposed to be the seat, the follow-up to Snow White. Uh, this was supposed to be the second Disney animated movie. Wait a minute. It was going to be a sequel? It was not a sequel to Snow White. I'm just saying. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You mean uh, it was, was literally supposed to be the second. They had this movie in the can or they had it planned since Snow White. Gotcha. Yeah. Walt bought the rights to this movie in 1937 from MGM. Uh, MGM was trying to make a live action version of the movie and obviously it did not work. Uh, gotcha. So... Disney bought the rights to the story. The story of in of itself is Bambi, A Life in the Woods by Felix Salton, which is a 1928 book. Uh, he was an Austrian author, and apparently he was an insurance salesman who was bored out of his mind doing the job, so he would write <laughs> stories on the side. Wow. Um, so Disney bought the rights to the movie in 1937, and they just could not crack the story at all. Uh, because this story had endless possibilities. You're talking about a deer in the woods, you know? That's really so, it. That's really it. So Walt would literally come up with these concepts for the artists to, you know, to work off of. Like one of the things I saw was that Walt came up with the idea of Bambi stepping on an anthill. And the artists literally pulled themselves off track because they went deep into the ant hill and how the ants had to rebuild the hill. See, uh, this is what this is what I love. Oh, sorry to cut you off. This is what I love about the idea of how much detail. Like I can give the, I can give any of these old I can give any animated movie flack. But it's like the fact that these Disney animators like were so would go as far as being like, oh, if they step on the anthill, what's happening in that anthill? Like that's what I imagine. Like I like I've been for the folks at home, like I've been saying like every week, like this is like all like a big like it's like the office it's like a big sitcom it's like what what are what are the people who are working on these movies what are what are their lives like and that's the tv show in my mind so i imagine people like oh well bambi, bambi steps on an anthill and then whatever and he realizes like oh these are things about life and they're like well what's happening in the anthill and all of a sudden they all scramble to come up with this whole backstory for the ants and then to yeah. realize that this is just be pocketed for a bug's life some uh, decades later that someone else would pair up with a uh, Pixar for. But. Uh, last I checked, a deer was not in a bug but <laughs> I would throw off the whole thing. But uh, yeah, no, as always, we digress. That's, that's, yeah. that's good, though. Well, you know, this movie was originally supposed to have more gags as well. Like, there was a scene where Bambi, like, Bambi swallowed a bee and a mouse would talk to the bee through Bambi's ear. They literally are working off of, like, unlimited potential. I will save some of this for final, for final but I, I think that that's part well, – that was what was, what was noticeably jarring about this movie is it didn't go for as many cartoonish gags in the style of, like, Looney Tunes as, like, as many of these other films have done in the past. Well, we can talk about the simple complexity of this movie now um, because the end product is, in of itself, just very simple – in total, there's only about a thousand words of dialogue in the entire film. Mm -hmm. um, but it was supposed to be very realistic, very natural. They wanted to capture nature uh, in a, it's like most realistic way possible. 
Walt brought in what's it called art teachers for his men to learn from so that they can literally learn how to draw the anatomy of these uh, animals perfectly. He brought in the actual animals to roam the studio so that the artists could capture them in motion. Uh, like a predecessor to The Lion King 2019, you know, of just trying to get animals to look as realistic as they can without any heart and soul as to what would make these animals seem like likable characters. Right, of course. Um, no, I... But <laughs> what well, I was going to say is... Uh so interesting about this movie because it teeters that balance of capturing something real with something very cartoonish about it and i can get into some of the animators that brought that about because again walt had no idea if this movie was even going to work the first uh, sweat box session for this movie was drawn by frank thomas who drew uh, bambi playing with the butterfly and he was extremely nervous to show Walt this footage because they just didn't know if it would work or not. Sure. But when they turned on the lights, Walt had a tear in his eye and was essentially saying, like, work off of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of these are the nine old men. The main animators were Mark Davis, Milt Call, Ollie Johnson, Frank Thomas. Uh, Mark Davis worked a lot on Bambi. And to do so, he studied child psychology and would like film baby facial expressions and learn how to apply it to Bambi's uh, animated face. Milt Call took what Mark Davis did and boiled everything down to like the bare expressions that should be accentuated. Uh, Ollie Johnson did Thumper. For those who don't know, Johnson and Frank Thomas, there's a documentary on Disney Plus called uh, Frank and Ollie. They worked very close together. Frank Thomas worked on the Thumper ice skating sequence. Apparently, Frank Thomas came up with the idea when he was ice skating himself. He said that he was more like Bambi, and he wanted to capture the people that were actually zooming past him, and he thought that that's what Thumper should really be like. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. So a lot of like detail and years of research went into actually trying to capture the essence of what these animals should be. Well, I mean, one of the one of the top notes here, the IMDb uh, facts, is that um, the notice that no matter how no matter how skilled the animator, the Disney cartoonist simply could not draw Bambi's father's antlers accurately. <laughs> this was be this was because of the very complicated perspectives required to get around the. To get around the problem, a plaster cast was made of some real antlers, which was then filmed at all angles. This footage was then rotoscoped onto animation cells. So all that to say is this movie, even before getting into any thoughts, is really just notable because of how much work went into capturing that photorealism of just animals existing in nature. Yeah, well, let's talk about uh, a couple things that were actually filmed. So we talked about the old mill short Silly Symphony uh, cartoon that came out earlier because that's where the multiplane camera was established. But it also was the spot where uh, they discovered how to capture effects of rippling water. They did optically ground glass moving under the lens, and this would cause a ripple effect to look 
So through the multiplane camera, they were able to capture water ripples and they were also applied this to uh, the smoke for the fire. Uh, for snow, they didn't actually paint the snow into the background. It was filmed cornflakes that they dropped in slow motion. The rain in the movie, which they tried to replicate, was actually filmed on the soundstage. So a lot of like actual filming took place to be integrated into it. The real problem that they had, or what they ran into, was actually the background because Walt sent a, a couple of photographers to Maine to capture the forest. And the animators tried to replicate the stills that were brought back. And the detailing got so excruciating. Like yeah. apparently Walt looked at millions of pictures of leaves <laughs> and nothing, none of it worked because it was just too detailed and it took away from the actual animated characters. So Tyrus Wong, a Chinese immigrant who was an in-betweener at the time at the Disney studio, uh, he was caught painting the background on Bambi, but he did it in a way where he took away the detail. And one of, the, one of his supervisors saw what he was doing and brought uh, Wong to Walt and said, you're in the wrong department. Like, you should be in backgrounds. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So his paintings had this, like, they had this, like, very impressionistic, not detailed, like a Chinese impressionistic color palette to them that Walt instantly fell in love with. And that's what applied to the backgrounds of Bambi. So it's I mean, just fascinating that, uh, you know, a Chinese immigrant found his way up the Disney ladder. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, it, it's part of the story, you know, it's what makes it what it is. It's, it yeah. just adds to, it just adds to the history. It's just kind of like, Hey, here's how we've been doing things. And we got experimental. We did Fantasia. And now it's like, Hey, let's try and like go in different directions. And then like based on the strike and the war, it's like, well, where do we go from here? And now this is like, let's try something completely different. And yet like try and recapture the magic of what we've done. And so it's like- What's fascinating to me is the difference between the second and third generation of animators. Because we talked in great detail last week about Dumbo and just how unabashedly of a cartoon that was. And now we're talking about just how extreme the process is of trying to capture something real for this. They're movie. very, they're very visually different in that sense. So, you know, Fantasia has a fantastical sense to it, obviously. Pinocchio and Snow White. Well, look at Snow White. Let's talk about just Snow White in general. You know, that came out in 1937. Look at the deer in Snow White and compare it to Bambi. Right. These movies are, what, five, six years apart? And the detail is just mind-blowing between the deer. They've done, they, they've done, it's not that they've done their homework, they've done different kinds of homework. Because, like, as much as this feels similar to prior works that we've talked about, this is also something that's brand new. And that's kind of, I'm, again, I'll 
literally saved the deep dive for my final thoughts, but there's something respectable about it that we've never seen before in, in this journey thus far in this, this the fifth film, right. That we've yeah. reached. Yeah. So it's like, kind of like, it's almost like they're kind of, they keep trying to one up themselves or they keep trying to try something new and different. And so even just the way it's animated, just trying to make it realistic is something that's, well, that's what's it's, so fascinating about these yeah. early Disney years more than anything. Just the willingness to experiment yeah. that I, we haven't gotten to the wartime age, nor have we gotten to the silver age, but this experimentation ceases. And as we alluded to last week, it really come, boils down to the strike and the war itself. Uh, let's not kid ourselves either. Josh had a very valid question of how did the studio survive during the war? Well, the experimentation period is over. Everything that they learned just was applied from here on out. Right. Uh, They kind of have the formula figured out down to a science almost. Yeah. So we'll get to the voicing now. Walt wanted real kids uh, like he wanted with Pinocchio. He did not like the idea of adults playing kids. Peter Ben, who played Thumper, was actually chosen by Johnson and Thomas, uh, Frank and Ollie. They liked the authentic innocence of his voice. They liked the fact that he couldn't repeat a full sentence if you gave it to him. You know, like some of the sequences in the movie where Thumper is talking, he has to take a pause and remember what the rest of his line is. The uh, casting director thought that this automatically was going to be like, no, like get this kid out of here, give him, send him to the back of the line. <laughs> so but, that's the note I'm looking at. It says six-year-old Peter Ben auditioned with several other children for uh, the voices. And when Ben said the line in reference to Bambi, did the young prince fall down? I guess the kid was having trouble. A casting director who was watching the audition shouted, get that kid out of here. He can't act. However, the Disney animators who heard the audition tape loved the sound of Ben's voice, and he was called back to the studio, and the character of Thumper was created largely based around the child's vocal performance. Yeah, because he doesn't say, did the young prince fall down? He says, does the young prince fall down? <laughs> you know, they liked the innocence of it. It's um, one of the, like, it was like one of those things where like I was cringing and I was kind of like, I get it. Like I, it works because it sounds like a child. I'm like, I get it. Like, I'm not bothered by it. Like, just cause I'm a cynical adult doesn't mean other people can't be bothered by it. Like this yeah. is, it was like, it works for what they were. It clearly works for what they were trying to do. Yeah. They're trying to make literally a child. The only other note that I have is this was nominated for a couple of Oscars, best original score, uh, best song for love is a song and best sound mixing. We're, I know we've talked about this. Uh, I don't know if other of the other films were nominated. I know snow white was, it was snow white. Uh, snow white was not nominated for any Oscars. However, it won a special Oscar. Uh, That's what it we was. talked about this. Uh, it won a special Oscar. Shirley Temple handed Walt. That's award. right. That's it right. had one giant Oscar followed by seven mini. But the little, attached. yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I lied. The last note I have was that the budget was eight hundred and fifty-eight thousand dollars. 
and the box office returns were three million dollars on its initial run. I know we Luckily, do box office because of the war. Uh, the movie was allowed to open in the Allied countries. So oh, while, that's cool. So while Britain was being bombed by the Nazis, they were also able to go see Bambi. <laughs> that's very interesting. Um, the only notes I have is that um, in regards to the man, the man in the forest was in in terms in line with our. Uh, you know, sitcom backstory TV shows that man in the forest was code was a code phrased by Disney's employees. Whenever Walt was walking down the hallway, (laughs) man in the forest. (laughs) Oh boy. Ouch. Um, As far as that man goes, man was ranked. I don't know when this was, what year was ranked number 20 of top villains on the American film Institute's uh, hundred greatest heroes and villains. The only character on the list to not appear on screen. Well, apparently one of the key scenes of the novel missing from the film is Bambi's realization that man is neither all powerful nor immortal. The scene comes when the Prince of the forest shows Bambi, the corpse of a man shot by a fellow human. So I can imagine. Dick Cheney had a rough night. I can I can imagine that was on the on the cutting room floor. They were like, hey, listen, here's the scene where Bambi sees a dead man, and they're like, a man shot the other man, and they got to explain death and humans. And, you know what's but, crazy? They probably discussed a bee being eaten by Bambi, but they probably <laughs> decided real quick, this is not a scene that's going to happen in our movie. Yeah, no, let's have the, them swallowing a bee, and it's just cartoon nonsense. Um, that said... Final note about the man, just because I found like these notes very interesting, is that in December of 2018, a Missourian poacher was sentenced to one year in prison for illegally killing deer for trophies. As part of his penalty, he was required to watch this movie once a month, every month he was in prison. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, that's quite a punishment. That is an incredible punishment. But if you're hunting um, deer, I don't know if that's the right punishment because obviously well, you don't give a fuck. December of 2018, like if that was, see if this if that if that happened in like the 40s or 50s, I'd yeah, be like, that's oh, okay. the weirdest part. You're right. The fact that it happened now, like in 2018, not even in the 40s, <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> like you don't get many weird rulings like that anymore. I just love the idea of the Missouri, like, let's show him Bambi. I don't know why he's Southern. I'm so sorry. But, like, I meant, let's show him Bambi. That'll show him, you know. Um, the final, final note I have, again, don't know when this was recorded, top IMDb note, is that Bambi was Walt Disney's personal favorite of all of his animated features. I don't, I feel like I read similar notes about Walt, because Walt obviously was attached to a certain, at, until a certain point, Walt was really attached to these characters and well, um, we and everything didn't really going on. We discuss but... it much. We can now if you want. But uh, Walt was a very outdoorsy kind of man. Uh, he loved camping. He loved just the outdoors in general. Uh, that's why there's Frontierland in Disneyland. Like literally, if you use Disneyland as a template of what his mind breakdown is, there's Frontierland and there's Adventureland which are both very um, agrarian types of things. You know, I don't know if this really plays into it much, but there's nothing he liked more than to eat baked beans at the office. Like, that was his favorite meal, to just, like, warm up a can of beans, like, at he was a, a very, campfire. So he was a very simple man, to a degree, it sounds like. He was just, he loved the simple things in life, yeah, you know? Yeah, he and... bought, uh, he in Colorado, he bought a resort and he would go there often to just 
be in the woods. So he just had a very outdoorsy aspect of himself. I got I to gotta give the man credit. I mean, you know, he knew he, he knew what he was doing through. Like, I, like we had said, like we've been saying every week. It's like well, he knew how to say this is what we got to do next. And it's, I don't know. Again, I'm not here to proclaim anyone a genius. I'm not here to say Walt was right or wrong about anything. I'm just saying that Walt was a man with a very determined mind. And in the long run, he was able to build something off of his determination. He knew what he wanted and he knew what people wanted. Very much like Steve Jobs, he was under the mindset of, I'm not going to let the people tell me what I want. I'm going to give the people what they want. Yeah. He's, um, well, I know we've compared him to, to Jobs in the past, and we've even talked about, like, well, we talked about the pioneers of technology and, and Mark Zuckerberg, even, and, and those, and the people of, of today and how people changed. Uh, they changed their environment for four, they changed a whole generation of, of whatever it was that they were doing, be it the technology they were working with or, the the interface or uh, perspective of what people were taking in via entertainment, whatever, uh, the internet. I mean, these guys are pioneers, you know what I mean? So it's just really... Well, their entire existence is predicated on one thing. There's a quote of Steve Jobs's. I don't... I'm going to butcher it because I don't remember it verbatim. But essentially, Steve Jobs said, our job is to make our previous products obsolete. And we kind of get that with Walt in animation. You know, we were just talking about the deer. Look at the deer in Snow White versus the deer in Bambi. You know, he's taking what he learned from the previous movies that he worked on and expunging upon them. It's everything is a stepping stone to build to something more interesting and more beautiful. I think that's a good place to say, you ready to get into the movie? Absolutely. The opening titles begin. The song Love is a Song plays. With the Disney multi-lane camera, we pan through the woods. The day has dawned. Friendly Owl, Will Wright, swoops down to the perch of his nest to go to bed. As the nocturnal animal begins his rest, the woods awakens. Squirrels, chipmunks, and mice all awaken. Birds fly by frantically to spread the news. Thumper, Peter Ben, follows. Waking up friendly owl to tell him the new prince has been born. At the deer's nest, Bambi, Donnie Dunnigan, is sleeping next to his mother, Paula Winslow. The woodland creatures are all gathering to congratulate mother. Which, that seems like a lot real quick. Like, this woman just gave birth. Like, she's literally in her afterbirth, and you're, like, all surrounding her. I know you're animals, but don't be animals, you know? This, this is now two for two Disney movies in a row where a new mother is being overly congratulated. Although, last time, it was last a cartoonish was a stork. stork who was, like, rambling too much and doing his whole kazoo and his speech. And it was funny. He was doing a gag. He might as well have had a cigar and be like, hey, how you doing? Here's your baby. He's got big ears. Whereas, like, this time... It's kind of just like, here's the Woodland Critter Christmas, and you all have yet to commit your... uh... The reason Bambi can't walk is because he's stepping over his gooey afterbirth, you know? I mean, (laughs) we've seen city slickers, you know? I mean, it's like Norm. It's like, you know, he's just, he's... 
He's got to learn to walk. You know, you just need Billy Crystal to pull on and be like, come on, kid, we're going to make it. You know what I mean? You got to put in whatever voiceover you can by this. Um, you know, as always, we digress. The woodland creatures are all gathering to congratulate Mother. She wakes Bambi up, and he takes his first steps. Thumper commenting, kind of wobbly, isn't he? So disrespectful. <laughs> Bambi then tries to speak, but the force of his voice pushes him back. Friendly Owl, seeing the fawn, is tired, shoos all the other animals away. Of course it's the owl. The only one showing any goddamn respect. As we pan out from the mother and son, we see the father, the great prince of the forest, Fred Shields, watching from a cliffside. If I ever become a father, I'm just going to stand on a cliffside somewhere, debating, should I jump? <laughs> Don't want to deal with this kid. <clears throat> mother and Bambi are going for a walk through the forest, though Bambi is still stumbling over himself. Every animal the mother and son pass say hello to Bambi. His fixation lingers on the possums hanging upside down. The rabbit litter comes out of the woodwork. Thumper comments on Bambi's walking ability. Mrs. Ra Mrs. Rabbit, Margaret Lee, corrects Thumper's ill manners by having him repeat his father's words. If you can't say something nice, don't nothing at all. The rabbits excited help Bambi learn to walk, though he has trouble getting over the fallen tree. Birds are chirping in the trees. Thumper tells Bambi that they are birds. Bambi says his first word. Bird. The rabbits correct him by saying the word is bird. bird Bambi shouts. Bird is the word. I wonder if that's right here. Bambi shouts, bird. Attention is quickly shifted to the butterfly on Bambi's tail. Thumper tells Bambi it is a butterfly. Bambi repeats the word until he comes across a flower bed. Thumper then teaches Bambi the word flower. Bambi finding a skunk repeats the word flower. Thumper and his siblings burst out laughing, but the skunk, uh, Stan Alexander, shyly says, He can call me a flower. If he wants to. Bambi and his mother are back in their nest as raindrops drip down. The song Little April Showers plays as the rain picks up. As the music gets more ominous, thunder and lightning strike. Bambi, scared, tries to hide under his mother. He literally tries to crawl back in his mother at a certain point. It's really, um, <clears throat> really something. The sun quickly pierces through the sky as Bambi sleeps. Now that Bambi is big enough, Mother is taking him to the meadow. Very kind of Mother. <laughs> On the way, Bambi tells Mother that Thumper told him that there are other deer in the forest. Mother says, Mother says that this is true, and that Bambi may even meet other deer in the meadow. The path is misty and gloomy as Bambi sprints for the open meadow. Mother intercedes, saying, You must never rush out to the meadow. There might be danger. Out there, you're unprotected. The meadow is wild. There are no trees or bushes to hide us. So we have to move very careful. Wait here. I believe that's what they call in the film biz foreshadowing. Uh, yeah. I believe that we are to expect that something bad may happen in the wild, but I digress. I'll be honest. I hadn't watched this movie in probably like 10 years. And I, I thought that this was the moment. I was like, 
I, I was looking at my watch going, this can't be hit. Like, Mm-mm. this just can't be. They're but planning the seats. They're planning they the seats, exactly. Building anticipation. <clears throat> Mother looks around and waves Bambi forward. Well, oh. waves as best as someone with hooves can do. Yeah. Uh, already in the meadow are Thumper and his siblings eating the blossoms. Thumper tells Bambi to join them, but to eat around the greens. Mrs. Rabbit again makes Thumper repeat his father's words. Eating greens is a special treat. It makes long ears and great big feet. But it sure is awful stuff to eat. I made that last part up myself. Bambi's attention switches to a frog. He follows it to a pond. As he looks down in the water, another deer's reflection appears. It is Feline, Cammy King. Scared, Bambi runs away, but she follows. Bambi and Feline's mothers are talking. Uh, Bambi tries to hide behind his mother as Feline tries to say hello. Mother tells Bambi to say hello. After resisting, he obliges, simply saying, Hello. Feline jumps for joy, embarrassing Bambi. He gets up and chases her as this they go deeper. This is very real. I don't know about you, but I felt like as a little boy myself once, way back in the day, I've had these moments of like your mother telling you to say hi to someone oh, and then oh, being that's, embarrassed. That's, that's like, being respectful. very real. Absolutely. And then we frolic through the flowers and hop around and sniff each other's butts. And, you know, it's, it's, it's always... about that? <laughs> uh, let me just back it up. Mm-hmm. Valene jumps for joy, embarrassing Bambi. He gets up and chases her. As they go deeper into the meadow, they stumble across fully grown male deer clashing their antlers. Suddenly, every deer stops. The great prince of the forest, regally and very slowly, walks by. He's this really a, making a show of it. This was a great moment. As much as I was like, kind of like, you know, like I said, so it's not vomit inducing, but a very like, okay, it's very cutesy, friendly. This is very. I, I enjoyed the moment. The fun returns momentarily. Birds fly by quickly. The great prince runs back to warn the deer to flee. Gunshots are heard. Bambi and mother, separated, are looking for one another. Great prince finds Bambi and leads him to mother. When Bambi and mother get into the forest, he asks why they all ran. Mother simply says, man was in the forest. Ominous stuff. Whole lot of man. The leaves change to autumn, which quickly becomes winter. Bambi wakes up one morning and is shocked that the ground is white. Mother tells him that it is snow. Bambi goes out to explore. Thumper calls out to Bambi to come to the lake. It is frozen solid. Thumper has no problem skating, but Bambi cannot stand on the ice. Thumper pushes Bambi forward, pushing him into a pile of snow. They then come across Flower, who is hibernating. And poor flower like leave this kid alone why are you annoying him thumper he's literally sleeping the deer are seen picking at the tree bark for food as the winter goes on the bark is higher and higher bambi comments to his mother that the winter feels like forever mother says it will pass they snuggle together in the nest and go to sleep mother calls out to bambi she has found grass the scene shifts to a first person perspective We're watching Bambi and Mother from afar. This is when you know something's up. Mother quickly realizes what is happening. She tells Bambi to run to the thicket and not to look back. Gunshots go off. Bambi makes it home, but Mother does not. Bambi searches and shouts for his mother, but to no avail. 
In the snow storm, Bambi sees the Great Prince. He simply says, Your mother can't be with you anymore. Bambi bows his head as a tear fills his eye. The Great Prince tells Bambi to follow him. Father and son take their leave. Rough stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about this moment later. Rough stuff for Bambi. It'll have to come up. I mean, it's inevitable. We'll definitely talk about it later. Song, let's sing a gay little spring song. Begins to play. My favorite of all the gay little spring songs. I don't have many. I don't have many favorite. (laughs) I don't have many favorite gay little spring songs. I don't have many favorite gay little spring songs, but if I had to pick, I'd say this this is is right next to the YMCA. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking in the Navy, but. Oh God! Just for the record, although I I highly doubt any of this will stay in. Uh, uh, I'm a fan of the Village People, and the Navy is probably one of the catchiest songs of its time. All right, so you know what? The song "Let's Sing a Gay Little Spring Song" begins to play. It is spring once again. Birds are not only chirping but pairing up. Friendly owl coming home from his night begins to sleep, but is quickly woken by a deer shaking the tree. He looks down. It is Bambi. Now, Hardy Albright, all grown up, antlers and all. Thumper, now Tim Davis, and Flower, now also Tim Davis, follow. The look ar- they look around to see birds in love. Friendly Owl explains to them that spring is in the air. The trio are still confused. Friendly Owl expunges. For example, <clears throat> you're walking along, minding your own business. You're looking neither to the left nor to the right when all of a sudden you run smack into a pretty face. You begin to get weak in the knees. Your head's in a whirl. And then you feel light as a feather. And before you know it, you're walking on air. Then you know what? You're not for a loop. And you completely lose your head. Gosh, that's awful. Gee whiz, terrible. And that ain't all. It can happen to anybody. So you'd better be careful. It could happen to you, and you, and... Yes, it could even happen to you. I just find it hilarious at the very end. Friendly Owl is, yes, it could even happen to you. And he's pointing to Flower. It's just like, yeah, even you, you skunk. Even you, you stupid, smelly skunk. You stupid skunk, even you, you could find love. You stupid skunk, even though you smell like shit, you stupid skunk. It's even going to happen to you. Yeah, even you, you stinky bastard. Like every adolescent, the trio snuff at the notion of love as they walk away from Friendly Owl. As they walk, a female skunk is picking flowers. She spots Flower and giggles. Flower takes a step back as he sees his friends continue to march on. The female skunk kisses Flower and he goes red and drops. Perhaps the only like real cartoonish moment that I could pick up on that was like almost reminded me of that kind of Looney Tunes-esque Yeah, this whole, se- this whole sequence of Flower and Thumper 
very cartoonish. It's the- very, it's one of the only times it was a little, not jar, not necessarily in a bad way, but jarring in the sense that it felt like the other Disney movies were well, trying gets, to. It is almost jarring, especially what happens to Bambi in the sequence as well, because his love story is very real. Right. Uh, in, in terms of deer, like how deer operate. But we'll is get Disney, to that in a minute. Because Disney's, once they, they fi- found out their groove, they got very good at balancing the realism in the sense of taking a scene seriously and then the like the cartoonishly like almost like Abbott and Costello style you know sidekicks that they would have in terms of like being an actual cartoon reminding audiences like this is a cartoon and so this is one of those movies that kind of tiptoes that line which of course we'll bring back in into final but where where was I the female skunk uh, he, he goes right in drops uh, Bambi and Thumper look back to see flower and the female skunk's tails in the air walking through the flowers. Bambi and Thumper keep walking. Thumper notices a female rabbit and stops in his tracks. She giggles and fluffs herself up in front of him. Thumper goes stiff. She waves to Thumper and he waves with his ear. She then kisses Thumper. His foot uncontrollably thumps. Bambi looks back to see Thumper in her arms. Very sexual. Very sexual. They just... Uh... They're about to bang like rabbits here. Those rabbits are about to bang like rabbits, yes. Bambi begins to drink from a pond, and like before, Faleen's and Gil's reflection appears. She asks if Bambi remembers her. Bambi, scared, backs up and falls, like he did before. As he tries to get up, his antlers get caught on a branch. Faleen licks his forehead. They then frolic through the clouds. An angry male deer pops out of the bushes and asserts his dominance. Very Dennis-like. Uh, <laughs> he pushes Bambi away from... Uh, he pushes Bambi away and then Faleen into the forest. He, like, really got rapey real quick. Uh, literally, he pushes Bambi away and tries to, like, push Faleen into the woods. It was Bambi, a different time. Yeah. But this is what I'm saying. This sequence is very much more real than the other ones. Oh, absolutely. Because this is how nature operates in a, the more assertive male deer, you know, again, in nature, tends to get the female. Bambi chases him. They clash. Bambi falls a few times, but always gets up. Finally, Bambi pushes the deer off a cliff, and he turns his tail. Uh, I Bring You a Song begins uh, the original Can You Feel the Love Tonight plays as Bambi and Faleen continue their walk. The next day, Bambi wakes up and walks to a cliffside. The great prince appears to warn Bambi man has returned to the forest. This guy has like a sixth sense when it comes to man being in the forest. <laughs> great prince wants to go deeper inland, but first Bambi must find Faleen. They search for each other as all the animals begin to hide. Man is getting closer. A quail loses her cool and tries to fly only to be shot. That was dark. Feline is being chased by a dog up a mountain. Bambi intercedes and charges at the dogs. Feline, at Bambi's instructions, runs away. A gun shot goes off and Bambi is hit. We cut away to man's campsite where a lantern falls over and sets the forest ablaze. I guess he was having a, uh, what's it called? What is that baby thing that set off? <laughs> what's it called? 
the gender oh, reveal party. Oh, a gender reveal party. <laughs> having a gender reveal party. He burned down the whole forest. That means he's having a boy. Um, distracted, the humans and dogs leave. Very the great distracted. prince finds Bambi and tells him to get up. He does so under great strain. They jump into the lake. Across the lake, all the animals emerge. Feline somehow is already there and kisses Bambi. The animals watch the forest burn. Like, this movie is just very relevant now. Oh, absolutely. How often do we see forests burning? How often do we see man just destroying nature? It feels Um, more prevalent now than ever. I I mean, I don't know about the point this movie came out. Obviously, a world war was going on. So destroying I, forests were going on, but un- unfortunately, I don't think, and we, I, we only know the insight that we have, but like, I don't think anyone could have foreseen how relevant this movie would have been, you know, some odd eighty years later. Well, that's kind of the genius of this movie in of itself. I can, I'll get into this more during final thoughts, but this movie is one of the rare movies where you don't know when it takes place. It could happen right. today. It could have happened a hundred years ago. Yeah. You don't know. There's no like real time frame that it could have happened. They don't show the people. So they don't show what outfits they're wearing. So like we, yeah. li- all, all we know is they have guns. So we know that it's all like, we know is they have shotguns and a camp. Which so we know it's it could like any time. Correct. It, it could have been, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you presumably over the last two hundred years, at least, it's. I mean, I don't even. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to tell because so much of it is based in nature. But I don't want to. I don't want to go too far into that. So we'll we'll wrap yeah. it up first. Um, presumably, the next spring we see that the forest is rising out of the ashes. Foliage is growing over the remains of the burned trees. Thumper wakes friendly owl, all the animals, including Flower and his son. Flower's son's name is Bambi. Oh, that's right. I was so I thought it was a typo. Thumper wakes, Thumper wakes friendly owl. All the animals, including Flower and his son, also named Bambi, are running to the thicket. Just like the film began, all the animals look on the newborn fawns. Creline has had twins. As love as a song begins to play again, we see Bambi and the Great Prince standing on the cliffside, looking down. We zoom out of the forest. The end. Oof. Wow, we made so, it. let's jump right into the categories. Oh, yeah. As always, categories. we have best song, best animated sequence, best voice actor, and most traumatizing moment. Tell me, Josh, what is your best song? Um, well, given that I felt like a lot of the music in this movie was the soundtrack to hell, <laughs> with the little choirs and pleasant music and the birds chirping and all the music scored to... Well, this Everything music going is on. very interesting because it is the first time in the D- uh, Disney animated movies, like narrative movies. Let's not count Fantasia in this group. Sure. But it's the first time in a narrative Disney animated movie. The music is non-diegetic, where the characters themselves the characters are not singing the music. Correct. The characters don't sing. I found that very unique because it doesn't pull them out of reality. It keeps them very... It keeps them very distanced exactly where they are. I think that's um, why the music in this movie is, I'm not discrediting it. It's beautiful in its own right, but it doesn't hold the same weight that some of the music in the other movies have held. It's, it's very strange because they're- This was the hardest pick for 
the best song thus far. A hundred percent. I it was literally a toss up for me. I'll be honest with you, almost any of these songs could have been equal because it's kind of they all felt like little musical cues that were like little interludes. They didn't even feel like songs. They felt like, because you know in a Disney movie, in a, in, a, in a stereotypical Disney movie, you know when a song feels like a Disney song. A character's breaking out, there's a verse, chorus, verse, and there's the, it's usually the I want song. It's usually a motivation, whether it's a hero or a villain mm-hmm. or a love interest. And yet all these songs are kind of like little bits about the nature and whatnot. So it's kind of like these songs almost accent the environment rather than the story, if that makes any sense. So no, it's it kind of perfect sense. So for me, I couldn't really choose if I had to pick and I'll explain why I went with the little April shower. Same here. Because I felt like musically, it reminded me of Fantasia in the way that the music accents the weather. Um, it's the music accenting what's going on in terms of like, they go so hand in hand. I mean, um, the little rain droplets, they sound like tiny little chime, chimes down to the brass cymbals uh, banging, sounding like the strokes of thunder and lightning. It was musically the scene that gave life to the elements, and this movie's very much so about the elements. And so as much as I don't like the song, it made sense for what the movie needed to do, and therefore I, I was like, oh, this makes this makes sense. This helps make the movie what it is. And so I had no runner-ups. Like I said, they were all pretty much interchangeable and equal, but that's the one I went with. I also went with little April showers, but I really have nothing to add to what you said because I think it's truly like a perfect answer. It just accents the sequence that's playing perfectly. There's no other real rhyme or reason why I went with anything else. Yeah, so it just goes move. really hand in hand with everything. But oh no, yeah, yeah please, let's just please move take, on to best away. animated sequence. <laughs> take it away. Um, so for best animated sequence, I actually, I, I tried to think outside the box because I could have gone with a bunch of things, but the one I'm going to go with is Bambi fighting the other deer. Sure. I just think that the way it's silhouetted and uh, just the visceral nature that it is shot at is very intense and it feels different than the rest of the movie where everything else is very... um everything else in this movie is just very i I don't want to say calm because there are moments that are not calm but it's this moment just has a visceral emotional punch that the rest of the movie to me it's very dramatic doesn't have it's very dramatic it's very like in your face and the way it's filmed with the silhouettes is just powerful it kind of reminded me of night on bold mountain in that regard yeah, no, it, it's it's a very sp- specific moment, and therefore it's a good it's a good pick. Um, what is your pick? Because of its of its drama, um, I actually went with the fire. I felt like in terms of animation, it was the scene that stood out the most, mostly because of how different it was, similar to what you were saying, but like for what it did versus. And I don't want to spoil my final thoughts because I they all just bleed together. But it's kind of the red glow on the characters the embers floating in the background. Mm -hmm. There is so much physical work done in the animation to portray such a devastating scene that like it really was a complete contrast to everything the first half of the movie was trying to do because it's like, I'm seeing Bambi and the flowers and I'm like, okay, like I get it. It's cutesy, friendly, whatever. And that's the whole point. And then you get to this fire and you're all of a sudden reminded like, oh wait, like this is these, this is the home of these characters. This is, this is, 
and like we were just saying, I don't want us to keep repeating as we as we often you know don't want to do. This is it, it creates a devastating sense of reality that is a complete contrast. So it's kind of like for me to look at it the way it was to realize it's the same movie mm-hmm. where these characters are, are are falling down on ice and being you know there's these you know the the little rain shower or the you know the gay little spring song. It's like it's so innocent and yet these moments of devastation are painted in such uh, plausible realities. Like it's done so well and that scene with the with the fire floating in the background and all the glow, the red glow and all these like innocent, you know, whatever, furry creatures running, running away. It's kind of, it's sad, but it's also like, it's very powerful. It's very poignant. And that yeah. visually stood out to me more than anything else. Spot on. So what is your best voice actor? So this was a little bit of a toss up. And I think either of these are interchangeable at the end of the day. My runner-up was Paula Winslow for Bambi's Mom. <laughs> I always said, when I think of the sound of a traditional heartwarming mother, this is the voice I hear in my head, the kind of mom in the 1950s who calls you in from playing uh, uh, so you can come in to eat some pie. You know, she's got the pie waiting on a windowsill. I picture the mom. This is a traditional mom. Yeah. So, But my actual pick I went with was the Prince of the Forest, Bambi's dad, uh, the silent yet majestic. I didn't have the, uh, I had the actor's name. I didn't write it here. It was... Um, uh, Hold this thought. Hold on. Fred Shields. It is Fred Shields. Yeah. I have it here. Anyway, that's the voice I went with. It was very poignant the way every, I think because the character is mostly silent, every time he spoke is when I made note of it. And that note during the famous scene, uh, your mother can no longer be with you anymore. Or, um, yep. it's just, uh, I? I don't know. It's, I've all the, it was just very, you know, these little kids voicing, and I, I got to give props to the little kids. Like we were saying earlier, uh, you know, actual children doing the voice actors. It was very, I, I, I like that. I thought it was great. And even if for me, I was like, okay, I get it. Uh, but coming back to this guy and coming back to the, again, the majestic deer as the prince of the forest, it was almost like a mysterious character. So every time he spoke, I was kind of like waiting. I was lingering. And then that moment when Bambi's mom kind of uh, hit home for me. So it's, you know, it's I said that that'll be it, you know. So, um, but no, tell the good people at home. What, what, uh, what I here. went with Peter Ben, who played Young Thumper. I just found that maybe I'm pulling in my outside information into this, but I just found his innocence charming, and the way in which he speaks, even to this day, is not really how you hear children speak in a movie. Sure, you know, I'm just thinking of like. Finding Nemo. Nemo is still like a very, a very eloquent young man. Where in this movie, the children feel like children, and he, Peter, is the best example of that. Absolutely. Um, just the timbre of his voice and the way he speaks is very different, and I appreciate that. So, most traumatizing moment. I'm quite sure you and I have the same answer. It's obvious for me, it's the obvious one. It's Bambi's mother's death. It's just chilling, for lack of a better word, because it's not overdone by any stretch of the imagination. It's not even done on camera. They originally had it planned to be done on camera, and Walt pulled the idea. He said, it, no, that's not going to work. And he was right. Uh, 
It would have been too much. It would have been too much. You don't need to see her die. You already understand the effect that man is having. And that's not even what it's about. It's about the son. It's about Bambi's reaction to finding out that his mother is no longer alive. It's about that teardrop that goes down his face, the loss of innocence, and knowing that nothing will ever be the same ever again. It is harsh. It is as cold as the winter that Bambi is in. And, you know, it's one of those movie moments that lives in infamy from, you know, everyone knows this scene. Anytime you bring up Bambi to any person, this is the scene that automatically goes through their mind because of how chill-inducing it is. So that's why it has to be the most traumatizing moment. Not many times in a kid's movie, again, Finding Nemo stole from this, but it just set the template for the mother deaths that were to come in the rest of the animated milieu. It's like, this set the template. I don't know about you though, is this your choice? No, of course, that's the only answer. I, although I, I will be I will be honest, I was surprised at how many other moments, not many, but like how many, uh, the other moments that actually were, I did find traumatic, notably towards the end with the fire mm-hmm. and then the hunter coming back and uh, with the quail and-, and Yeah, the quail was pretty chilling. Her freaking just, out, uh, should I go, should I stay, should I go? And then she goes and boom. It's just very, it's a, it was, a, and like we had noted earlier, it was a reminder at how- intense some of these older Disney movies were in terms of just not holding back. They were kind of just like, hey, it is what it is. Characters die and whatever. It's it's adult in ways that this animated movies in general just are not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the baby's mom's death, like you, you said it perfectly, like as always, one of us will say something that kind of sums up what the other is thinking. But it's like, there's really nothing more that can be said it's just the simplicity of it. You know what I mean? The fact that the characters are running, you hear the gunshot and it's quiet. And then there's the snowfall. It's because it's so silent that makes it so traumatic. It's what makes it so chilling. It's kind of, it is such a toned down scene and that's what works about it. Sometimes Um, silence works better than bombast. As and and we'll make the comparisons because it, I for me it's inevitable. But like the comparisons to Lion King, but like like Mufasa's death is like another one for our what would be our generation. Like we grew up with Bambi, but like we grew up because we had it on VHS. But like the the children who saw it during the time it came out would be the equivalent of like you and I being kids watching Lion King. It's like that same traumatic moment where the the, the parent character dies in a Disney movie, but where like Mufasa's death in Lion King is so dramatic and I'm not undermining it, but it's very different. It's very no. state. It's very like, it's so focused on it. It's so dramatic. Well, they serve two different uh, points in each respective film. Again, I'm not denigrating Mufasa's death by any stretch of the imagination. Right. No, of course. I think it works very well for that movie, but again, they're two different effects that they're trying to get to, you know, Simba needs to feel that he is the cause of his father's death. That is what drives him for the rest of the movie. Where Bambi 
doesn't need to be held responsible for his mother's death. He, he just needs to know that his innocence was taken away from him by some force that he has no control over. Correct. There's no revenge. There's no, there's none of that aspect. It's kind of just a very, it's that sense of realism, but it's the moment that pulls you out of the children's movie and out of fantasy. And you're kind of like, Oh, this is like a very real thing that happens. Yeah. So Um, I think we're ready to move into final thoughts and maybe I'll kick it off this time. Yep. I think you used a word in your last answer that um, really sums up this movie. It's very simple. That doesn't mean that it is bad. It doesn't mean that it is void of emotional impact. It doesn't mean that it is not as interesting or harsh as some of the other movies. It's the simplicity that is the key to this movie. Uh, I know that's a cliche line, simplicity is key, but that is truly what makes this movie work to me. It is a very simple coming-of-age story. There's no bombast to it, where Lion King, uh, to... You know, I know we keep bringing it up, but the pitch for Lion King, when the people at the studio were developing it, they said, this is the actual pitch that they threw along for Lion King. Bambi, set in Africa, meets Hamlet with Elton John music. Obviously, this movie had a clear impact on the Lion King. The Lion King is just a more flashy and more dramatic movie That doesn't mean it's worse. That doesn't mean it's better. It's just more showy, I guess. This movie is stripped to bare essentials. And in that way, it hits home. We started this podcast by saying that this movie feels more adult than almost any of the Disney movies that came before it. And I think the key is due to that simplicity it hits on the emotional aspects that kids I don't think can fully appreciate because one, they're going through it, but more important than that, they don't necessarily understand it. You know, only as an adult can we understand our innocence being stripped away. A child can understand an innocence, I mean, hopefully, a child can't understand innocence being stripped away from them. They can understand what it is to fall in love or have children. I mean, I'm still not at that point myself. I can conceptualize it more so now because of my age, but there are themes throughout this movie that are just so adult. And even down to the music, it's not this over-the-top music. It's very simple. It's very clean. It's just, that's the best way I could describe it. Simple and clean. I know that's like a Kingdom Hearts reference, but... When it works, it works. It When it works, it works. I just... I don't know if this is a movie that I am going to go back to very often, even as an adult. It's shorter than I thought it was too. It's only an hour and like 14 minutes. 
but it's a movie that I very much appreciate, not just on a technical level because of the detail that went into developing the animation, but because of the maturity level that this movie hits. I can see this movie being an animator's or one of an animator's favorite movies of all time, simply because of those elements. I guess those kind of sum up my thoughts. Steven, that was a hell of a speech you just gave. Yeah, I kind of just rambled, but... I think the, yeah. the American people would be proud. I don't know. American people uh, don't really like to think about depth too much anymore. No, it's true. We're here to bring it back to the good people. Well, I mean, as for my final thoughts, as always, I think one of us kind of hits the nail on the head where it's kind of like, hey, this is exactly what it is that we wanted to say all along. Um, And it's kind of that whole idea of innocence being stripped. I won't repeat what you said. Um, It's kind of, I think, the whole crux to this movie. I couldn't help but feel like, and maybe this is a bit cynical of me to feel, but I couldn't help but feel like the whole concept of this movie was centered around Bambi's mom's death, if only to use as a crux to show that that tiptoed fine line between innocence and adulthood. Um, I know Walt's mom, Walt's, Walt's mother, Flora, passed away in 1938 after the success of Snow White and during the production of Pinocchio. It's worse than that, actually. Um, not to give... I, I don't want to step on your toes, but well, no. Uh, but I think that that's a whole that's important. That's an important piece. No, no, no. Movie. I'm adding to what you're about to say, though. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't want to jump on your feet too much. No, but no, no of course. Ma- Walt's mother, Flora, died from a gas leak, and Walt actually purchased the house that she died in. So, in a way, Walt felt responsible for her death because Which... she died within the first like week or two of them moving into that house. And that's something you had just said previously when we were talking about uh, with Lion King is that Simba feels responsible for his father's death, which, I mean, yeah, there are themes of Hamlet that echo very boldly in in all of Lion King. But that whole concept of a child feeling responsible for their parents' death is clearly something that rings true with Walt and it rings true in his work. And it clearly haunted him and followed him all throughout his career because how many, it's become a trope, how many Disney movies and now Pixar, it's like how many movies, I mean, their partnership, Disney and Pixar, it's one of the same, but it's kind of like how many of these, of the movies under this umbrella feature either a motherless character, a mother that dies or a, a kind of a, an absent mother. And it's kind of, there's a clear reason that all this has happened and Bambi's the first to really do it. And so like we've been saying, it's kind of like a trope now. It's kind of like anyone hears Bambi, they know it because of Bambi's mom's death, but this is also the first to do it. So I feel like that's kind of what, like, yes, like Walt may have wanted to capture like photorealism in, in an animation sense. And like we had said, it's keeps it from feeling as cartoonish as something that even like Snow White and Pinocchio had, where it's like characters or, or, or like Dumbo, like you were saying, with, with the train bouncing along, it's kind of like, these movies have otherwise felt like they exist in a cartoon world where this is a movie that tiptoes between being a cartoon and being kind of a realistic depiction of animals in a real, I don't know, in a realistic sense, even though it's animated. And so it's a very interesting movie because it also is the very movie, like I said, that balances 
between innocence and adulthood. And like Bambi's mom's death represents this point where that Lion King would later do and that many classic stories would do would 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 later do where it's like the innocent character has to grow up. They're forced into adulthood. And that now I'm tacking onto what you're saying in terms of the innocence being stripped. This is arguably the most mature movie we've seen from Disney thus far. Um, I'll be honest, the first half of it was kind of a, a chore for me to sit through. I, I, the, the cutesy, cuddly, friendly kind of the music, I'm like, Jesus, like, I can't, I really can't. And then all of a sudden, like, it was, the movie started to come back to me. And then it, it was really when Bambi's mom's death happens, it's kind of like all of a sudden it's pushed into a mature aspect. And I realized that there's really two stories in one. And so I really just can't help but admire what it's trying to do not just in an animated sense but in a storytelling sense um it's the first of the disney movies to show the real changing of the seasons and the changing of the seasons as a representation for getting older uh it is the first disney animated movie we've seen thus far with strictly just animals in their natural habitat we've never really seen that you know it's always uh human characters or even dumbo it's animal characters interacting in a human world this is the first time you're seeing animals in their environment. Um, and then it's the first of the movies we've watched thus far to show genuine trauma. Um, and it depicts a clear split between innocence and reality. And it's kind of, in a way, it's the most notable movie we've seen thus far in terms of those themes. Those, those themes of like, hey, we're growing up. Um, I, like you said, I don't think I will revisit this film often, but I can't deny what it's trying to say. And I can't, I, I feel like if I were to have children of my own, this is something I would show one of my children that was young enough to understand the concepts and be able to be embraced in that world, but also old enough to be able to like kind of begin to understand what real life is like, because this is like almost the perfect movie to show a child at an age to get them to understand that what what uh, the real concepts of life are like. And I kind of feel like I haven't been able to say that about any of the other Disney movies we've watched thus far. So anyway, I'll wrap it up with that. Pretty good. Pretty, so then, uh, pretty. Tell me, Josh, what is your pick of the week? Um, so I went with um, the 2009 uh, Pixar classic, Up!, uh, if only because it does a similar thing. <laughs> uh, it does very similar things. Um, up, you know, it's, up and away. it yeah. shows an innocent story, except in the beginning it's a love story and it's a montage and it's silent and it's five minutes or however long. And then it's, it, it shows death and death is this concrete uh, split, uh, which actually becomes a motive for a character, except it, it's a lot more realistic in the sense of... Uh, you know, he, you, you follow a cranky old man and you realize that he's cranky. Very realistic. Days. Balloons Very carrying realistic. a house to South America as realistic as possible. Um, but up teeters that line between cute, cuddly innocence, between the child and the cuddly animals, and then you got this grumpy old man or whatever. Um, it, you know, I think it's the first I've picked out of the Disney or Pixar movies thus far in this season that we're doing, but... Um, it's it, it 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 teeters that fine line as much as i as much as as silly as up gets and as as goofy and as funny as it is it has those very few moments that are like oh this is a very 
sad and inspiring and endearing kind of movie. And I think that that balance is not easy to pull off because Disney tries to pull that off in many of their films, if not all of them. And yet Up is one of those that came to mind with, I think it's mostly the death of an innocent character that, that, trigger, that, that pushes another character into another territory. Um, I, I could have went with Lion King, obviously, as if that's not the obvious answer, I feel. Um, that's the one I'm going with. I think it's, it, it tiptoes that, that line that you and I have been talking about this whole episode. It uh, does it very well. It's a classic. People love it. Not my favorite Pixar movie, but I will never not recommend it. So, Yeah, good one. I'm going to go with uh, The Deer Hunter. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm going to go with... Uh, Such a good movie. <laughs> I actually don't care for that movie as much as other people. Oh, um, whatever, Steven. Save it for another episode. That's like, that movie is Save like it. three hours. I, I don't want to hear your, your incorrect thoughts about that movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with <laughs> The Lion King. <laughs> I know that uh, you said it's the obvious answer, and that's why I'm going with it, because it is the obvious answer. It is. I also wanted to recommend this movie because I want to say that there are no hard feelings. You know, we spoke uh, about the contrast between Bambi and The Lion King, and I wanted to make it known that I love both these movies. Oh, yeah. No ill ill thoughts. There's no ill will toward either one of them. I think that... uh, the dramatic aspects of The Lion King work perfectly for the movie that The Lion King is going for. And quite frankly, I think that uh, maybe it's because I grew up with The Lion King in a more, uh, I, I guess they played more as a kid, but that movie speaks more to me than Bambi does on a grander scheme. In fact, that might be one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Not that I have a list like that. But that's my pick of the week. So I think that's where we're going to end this list. Beautiful, Stephen. So as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart. You can follow the podcast at Whose Filmography Is It Anyway on Instagram as well. It's just the handle is is Whose Filmography. Yep, correct. at Who's Filmography. Making sure I got it correct. And we will see you next week where we move out of the Disney Golden Age and into Disney's wartime age with Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros, which if you think we've had a big jump before from Dumbo to Bambi, you're in for a huge leap from Bambi to Saludos Amigos. This is going to be quite the, uh, quite the leap. I'm very excited to see how we end up. I am honestly more fascinated by the history lesson that we are going to get next week than I am for the movie itself. But hey, uh, that's just me. Yes. Yes, I agree. I'm all about the history. Way more Disney history than I ever could have bargained for. This is lovely. So, <laughs> so we will see you next week. 